welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sydney DeLorean. That's me. And guess what? We have a fan favorite on the show today. How's it going, Rob Love? It's doing pretty good, Sydney. Yes, that's right. Hashtag fan favorite. Glad to be here. Bringing the listeners what they want, when they want it, how they want it. Today, <laughs> we just in, just in time for Halloween. We've got a spooky topic. We're going to talk about crows. Um, I'm excited because most of what I know about crows comes from cartoons. Um, so I don't really know what they're up to. Um, is a crow different than a raven? I don't know. We'll get into it. All right. We'll get into it. So I'm going to do basically like a book, my little book report. And then I'll probably just interject with like personal anecdotes or I'll, I'll probably finish, you know, probably do more of my own talking after my little book report. Okay. So. You'll give us the primer. <clears throat> so here we are. Crows by Rob Leff, age 45. <laughs> <laughs> Crows are a mem- member of the family Corvidae, a.k.a. Corvids. Uh, other corvids, of which there are 120 species, include ravens, rooks, jackdaws, jays, magpies, tree pies, chuffs, and nutcrackers. The American crow, uh, genus Corvus, uh, the species is Bracarinkos, which means like, um, oh shoot, short neck or something like that. That's the typical crow that we think of in America, the American crow. And having done research, only from doing this research did I find out that the crows in my neighborhood are not the American crow. They're the Northwestern crow, which only, they're only, they were like geographically isolated at some point. Um, from like the Rockies westward or whatever. So there's this like species of crow that's endemic just to like the Seattle area. Oh, weird. Which are the ones that are around here. Yeah. Otherwise, the whole rest of the country is a totally different spirit species called, you know, American crow. This is Northwestern crow. But, um, and then also, I didn't know that in Europe, there are two main different types of crow that are completely distinct from the ones we have here in the new world as well. There's a carrion crow that is, um, around parts of Europe, I think more, more Northern Europe. And then there's the hooded crow, which is like all across Eurasia, like the Ural mountains even and stuff. And then all the way West towards like Ireland even has this hooded crow and they're sort of more, like the American crow than the carrion crow of Europe. But anyway, so let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. The American crow is, uh, they they weigh anywhere from 11 to 21 ounces. So they're pretty light, just over a pound. They have a wingspan of up to 36 inches. Jesus, and their average they... lifespan. Wait, they, they're big. Yeah, I'm. I'm just picturing we have a pound of animal, and yet it has 36 inches of wing. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, birds have hollow bones, oh. so that they're they, they keep the weight down. But yeah, they're they're just like a I don't know a lattice, a, a scaffold, yeah. a scaffold for feathers. <laughs> So uh, their their average lifespan in the wild is seven years, or up to thirty years in captivity. Whoa! Yeah. So if you wanted one uh, as a pet, see. it's a commitment. If you did want to get, yeah, it would be kind of like having a parrot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would be interested in having a pet crow. I kind of like them. I like them in the wild. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but. Plus, they seems like they'd be kind of a pain because they're so smart. They would cause trouble all the time. So crows in mythology, um, crows have always been sort of seen as bad omens or harbingers of misfortune. Think about like anytime something bad's about to, to happen in a movie, you hear the crow sound, you know? Yeah. And even sometimes I've noticed just from being a fan of crows that, um, 
the crow sound, just that typical caw, caw, is something that they'll just insert into movies for sound effects where it, it doesn't even make any sense or mean anything. It's just like they, they're just kind of looking for a natural like background sound, you know? Mm-hmm. And so crows are so pervasive, like it wouldn't ever seem out of place to hear a crow in the background. So they just kind of slip that in there. <laughs> Interesting. Funny. And then it immediately like triggers that association with us that it for me it it, it signifies like um like either open spaces or some sort of like darkness or doom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, op- I I've heard it both ways, you yeah. know, like if you they'll use it as foreshadowing in like a scary movie you know, the crow sound, but sometimes you'll just, you know, for no reason whatsoever, you'll just hear a crow sound and it's like, yep, that's normal background noise. I get it. You know? (laughs) So, uh, Odin, the Norse God Odin would send a pair of ravens to the ends of the earth. And at night they would return to whisper the world's secrets into his ear. I love it. Well, you know how I feel about Odin because he's the all father and I love a daddy. He had one eye, didn't you know that? I did. We did an episode on him like a year and a half ago. Oh, right. Yes, that's not, right. Okay. Not very popular not in us. the ratings. Um, the, uh, oh. <laughs> the, ep- the episodes that I love the most are the least popular. Uh, people are not super into my mythology episodes, which is why I haven't done one in so long. Um, but I that's, digress. That's how, that's how life works is that you're the only one that likes the stuff that you yeah. and everyone else like i'll put a joke out of a throwaway joke on twitter and it'll get like way more traction than, than i thought it deserved it's like i just that, that was a throwaway and then meanwhile something i actually like it's just like hey guys why don't you like this this was actually insightful and they're like nah <laughs> nah nah so uh let's see being carrion feeders ravens and crows would um, often be seen congregating at the sites of battlefields, which kind of gained them the reputation for having the ability to predict death. Um, oh. And that just kind of goes toward how smart they are. Because it's like, oh, all these people are assembled. We know what happens when that happens. Lunch in two days. Do they eat people? So they eat carrion. Like carrion crows, I think this is a Again, going back to the distinction of the species in Europe, there is a carrion. It's called the carrion crow. Mm -hmm. And they are carrion feeders. And then ravens, of course, are carrion feeders as well. But um, they will, they're, um, crows in general are um, opportunistic feeders. So they're omnivores. And um, from what I've read, they, their beaks can't like puncture the skin of a carcass. They have to wait for something else to go after it, like a wolf you know, wolf kill or something like that. But then once once it's opened up, they can they can get nibbled nibbling at it. But they can't even like like if they find a dead gray squirrel, their beaks aren't sharp enough to like cut through the skin oh, of a squirrel. Okay. They get at, they get at the delicious innards. So like so battlefield deaths to... would be nice for them because like be, they're ripped open. Yeah, perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then you know they're. Their um, sort of mythology continues into modern history with, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and the Raven, and, of course, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Crows played a big part in that. Were crows the uh, birds in The bird? I've never seen The Birds. Oh, you should check it out. Were, were the birds watched- crows, or were they just all types of birds? It was all types of birds, but the crows were kind of like the the... I don't know, the most persistent bad. They're just so prevalent, too. There's more crows. I th- In the movie, I believe that there were, like, a crazy huge flock of, of crows at one point, like, on the school playground or whatever. Mm-hmm. I watched the movie with my daughter because I was, like, getting her into scary movies at one point. And um, she was real proud of the fact that she didn't get scared by Jaws at all. She was like, I didn't get scared one time. I don't know why everyone says it's so scary. Like, she wasn't scared by Jaws. We watched the birds, and we both pretty much were on the birds' side the whole time. Really? <laughs> I was like, these people are idiots. They deserve a good eye-packing. Look at them. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we watch that, and I don't know. It's it's campy more than scary at this point in in um, movie going history. We I think we've progressed beyond that level of uh, oh, it's scary. Um, so, maybe I'll watch it, it today. I have really bad cramps, and as soon as we're done recording, I'm going back to bed. So maybe I'll uh, watch the birds when I crawl into bed. As you know, oh, show well, research. Have you, had, have you had a chance to watch Reuben and Ed yet? We talked about that a couple of days ago. Oh, I haven't. Um, I, I'll make a list: Reuben and Ed, the birds. I can. I'll knock them all out today. I am not. I have no plans <laughs> on doing anything that involves movement today. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> and I hope you feel better. Thank you. So crows, crows are actually technically a songbird. Most people wouldn't know that, but they have over sixty different calls that they can make, um, and they use two different dialects. They have a loud dialect that they use to kind of broadca- broadcast their calls to a you know a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all crows, and then they have this quieter voice that they use just around their family. And they can have their fam- crow families, like you know, tight families, can be up to like fifteen individuals, and that's like current years babies plus um, the young from previous years will often stick around for as long as five years, and like help help the parents raise the new babies. Um, the previous years. Babies will like come bring food to the nesting mother, you know, when she's sitting on the eggs and can't get up to go get her own food. They'll like bring her food. They'll feed the young while the while the parents are off searching for other food. I mean, it, it's they're a real tight knit kind of group. Um, so, but they're songbirds. I'm just, by the way, they, I'm picturing um, I'm picturing with the two different dialects where they're like quiet around their family and then loud in public. I'm just picturing um, like a sorority sister who, when she's home on you know fall break visiting her family, she's nice and quiet and subdued. And then she goes back away to college and she gets a couple drinks in her and she's like, "Who's gonna fuck me tonight?" You know. <laughs> um, like it's definitely there's the two different volumes that um, a lot of people have. That is that is true. Yes, and their their loud voices more of just like a fat girl, or yeah. a sorority girl. But but they do have in their um like because I I'm around crows a lot and I hear them talking to each other in their subdued tones mm-hmm. and some of, a lot of like like cooing. And they have this, it's called a rattle, where it's been, um, my coworker kind of compares it to the the movie Predator, like the noise that the Predator makes in that movie, which I haven't seen that movie in a long time, if ever, but apparently he makes some sort of a guttural clacketing, like, kind of a sound. And that's what they do? crows have this. Yeah, there's this, it's called a rattle is the official name for the the noise that they make. And if you go on YouTube, you can find videos of it. Um, but it's like my favorite, it's my favorite vocalization that they do, the rattle. It's, okay. it's so, yeah, it's so unlike anything else <laughs> that you hear. Um, let's see. Oh, um, they can imitate other animals and even humans, um, mostly they can learn to speak, um, human speech, but mostly that's just, that's only captive crows, like pet crows that'll do that. But like they be... their vocal cords are capable of mimicking human sounds. Oh yeah. Just like a parrot. I've heard, I've heard even better than parrots. Like really? they can talk to where you would think it was the person that they're imitating. Yeah. And in fact, there's one, there was one thing where at the zoo in, was it in, I think it was in New Zealand or something, and it was magpies. It wasn't crows. But, well, first of all, like every sort of geographical locale has their sort of um, corvid, their top corvid. Mm-hmm. And they sort of just kind of take that um, station in life. Like if it, like in Australia, it's going to be magpies. 
you know, here it's crows, somewhere else it's going to be Jack Dawes. But they all kind of have that, they take over that personality and that behavior. They're they're the same kind of animal. They just happen to be differentiated geographically. So Mm -hmm. a a lot of the studies that they do on you know, corvids or crows or whatever, they're done in other countries. Like in New Zealand, there's these New Caledonian crows that are like the smartest crow species. Um, And they do, they have like a research lab set up in the woods out there where they, you know, do all these experiments involving these crows. But generally speaking, like when they, I mean, they can't do only experiments on American crows because not all the experimenters are in America. So you kind of like correlate all these different studies people are doing over the world with magpies and, and whatnot. So they're, they're all pretty similar. They have similar behavior and learning patterns and stuff. But so in the zoo, I believe it was in New Zealand, these magpies um, learn to imitate the voice of the, the woman who would feed the chickens in the zoo. Mm-hmm. So they would come up and they would you know, go, whatever, whatever the lady sounded like when she was about to feed the chickens and they would fool the chickens every time and they would come running for food, but the lady wasn't there. And the magpies just thought it was hilarious. Oh, so they kept doing God. it over and over and the chickens never learned. Like they got fooled every time. And these birds are just like, because <laughs> chickens aren't very smart. Chickens are, but it shows you how smart magpies are. They just like to F with other animals and people even, you know? They're the Ashton (laughs) Kutcher of birds. (laughs) There's so many. You can go on YouTube and find um, videos of crows instigating fights between cats. No. And, uh, yeah, and then they'll, like, um, I I saw a video where this hawk was eating this, you know, dead animal. And the, this crow would come up behind it and pull its tail feathers and just like, just to mess with it. It was so hilarious. Like, hey, get off of there. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? But they just know they can. They get away with it. And so they just do it because they can. Yeah. You know, they're total smart asses. I love them. <laughs> um, so let's see. We are. Oh, here's how smart they are. So they're highly social animals. Um, they engage in this mobbing behavior where if there's a predator nearby, and I've seen this, I've seen this a lot where like a Cooper's hawk will come land in a tree and then every crow, the crows start sending out the alarm and they all like start mobbing and like dive bombing the, the hawk and they'll just like, they'll just relentlessly just you know, pester it until it goes away. That's the whole point. They just want it to go away because I'm sure they eat crow babies and whatnot all the time. So, oh, so they annoy it, like because they basically they're not super strong. They don't have a piercing beak, but they can be annoying, and that's a good defense mechanism. Yeah, just annoy until they get tired of it and go away. Basically, yeah. yeah. But they're not they're not dive bombing and then grabbing on and then you know attacking. They're just dive bombing it to just kind of make the other bird's life miserable for a while. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so they do that. They engage in, um, they have crow funerals, which Stop is. Stop it. Uh, yeah. If they see, if one crow sees a dead crow, it sends out the, oh my gosh, there's a dead crow um, alarm. And then all the crows within, you know, earshot come by and, and they all, you can see videos of it. They freak out and kind of like, you know, huddle around the, the dead bird and everyone's just freaking out. And part, you know, people um, theorize that it's, you know, hey, this, something happened here um, that we should all be wary of. You know, that something happened here. Let's all learn not to let it happen to us. You know, that's oh. one theory about about um crow funerals and then another one is just it's showing there's if you yeah. see a dead body it's showing that there's danger nearby because something caused that yeah death. holy shit yeah what what killed this guy is it after us next or just whatever yeah um, they just want to be they want to be kept up to date on their you know immediate environment and all of that but then there are people that say it is that they are feeling emotions and they are sad uh-huh. by the you know by the death 
their fellow crow or whatever. But <clears throat> whatever it is, they do have these, you know, these these funerals, rites of passage when another crow dies. And um, the only other animals that have been recorded doing that are like dolphins, elephants, and crows. Weird. Um, Maybe maybe primates too, like apes and stuff, probably do something like that too. But um, yeah, dolphins and elephants among are among crows and having these sort of funeral rites for for their fallen you know cohorts. So dolphins and elephants are pretty smart too. Yeah, I think that's um, you don't think about that. Like you think, oh, wild animals, if like one of their own dies, they just leave the body and keep on living. But they probably because if it dies like in their living space, they want to move the body out of it anyway, so it's not rotting there. Yeah, I don't know if they do, but I don't know if they do that kind of funeral. Like I think they, they just have it. a. I don't know if they move it. In fact, I'm pretty sure crows don't. They I leave, don't but know they fly elephant. away. But an elephant that that's gonna stink up your fucking dining room if it if there's a dead elephant right where you live. <laughs> Get it out of there. Oh, if only we knew the the Heimlich maneuver. The guy choked on a, on a clump of grass at the dinner table, and now we can't move him. He's just going to rot there. He's just going right to rot in our there. dining room. If, if anyone out there knows what elephants do if one of their buddies dies and if they, like, move it out of their space, write in. Uh, what what the fuck is the email address for the show? Oh, sex, drugs, and spirituality at gmail.com. Or my personal telephone number is 646-778-7743. Let me know what the fuck elephants are doing with dead elephants. <laughs> I'm curious to know myself. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it on a pup dates. There you go. Good pup date material. So they're highly social. They they have communal roosts where in the wintertime, when not nesting, I should say, because like in the springtime, they don't go to these communal roosts because they have to sit on their nest. They have to kind of stay in their own area. But like in the wintertime at other times of the year, they'll meet by the, at you know, like sundown mm-hmm. um, group groups of crows of you know num- numbering uh, numbering thousands or even millions what we'll get together yeah we'll get together um, and like roost in these big, big giant trees together um, and so they come from all around to do that you know like from a five mile radius or whatever they'll they'll all kind of congregate in this one spot. And they have a big powwow, they kind of socialize, and then they kind of just, like, go to sleep together. <laughs> I guess it's safety in numbers, maybe even warmth, Yeah, too. probably all of the above. Yeah. So they like to do that. Um, but when they're not in these communal, you know, areas, uh, whether roosting or just sometimes they'll forage together, uh, in big, big numbers, but the rest of the time they're kind of like in their individual foraging areas, their little, their little habitats. And that's where I see them most of the time is like, I have my neighborhood crows mm-hmm. and like, this is, this is the mating pair from this, you know, block. And if you cross the street over here, there's a different family that lives there and they're, they always stay apart. Like they have their own little, zones where they hang out and if one of them crosses the boundary there could be you know a little crow fight might happen i've seen a bunch of little territorial disputes between crows and um it's really funny they'll like um because they're not all friends even if they hang out together in these communal roosts they still have like crows that they like more than others or that they dislike you know and um i've seen it to where when one crow kind of like invades another crow's space the other crow will come in like just full of wrath and fury and um like swoop in to basically cackle the other crow mm-hmm. get them on get them on their back you know so their their talons are up in the air and their wings are on the ground and they like clasp talons you know like the they'll each kind of grab each other's feet and then just start like 
flapping wings and pecking. And the, the one who's on top has the advantage, obviously. And that's usually the one who's defending their territory. So that can go on for, and then loud, like, rah, rah, rah. it's kind of scary to witness, but it usually only goes on for a few seconds and then they let go and the, the other crow just like flies away and with its little tail between its legs. But, uh, wow. <laughs> a lot of get off my lawn action. Exactly. <laughs> and I've caused a few of those fights just by trying to feed people uh, crows peanuts. And yeah. So I feel a little guilty sometimes. I've, I've, uh, I've tailored my method for feeding larger numbers of crows to kind of minimize those disputes. But, uh, you know, sometimes they just happen. Yeah. So they're highly social. They're monogamous. They make for life. And they're off, as I mentioned before, their offspring, offspring often stick around for, you know, a couple of years. I've read as much as, as often as, as long as five years. Um, but at that point, does the, does the offspring have their own family? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they, they, they don't, they reach sexual maturity after two years, but they usually don't start mating until four years. So they're, they they don't have their own family at that point. I think once they have their own family, they're, they move they're out. abandoning. Their, yeah, I think they're 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 moved moved on for sure at that point. Huh. Um, let's see. Yeah, they're super smart. They have a large forebrain like primates. Um, they have what's called theory of mind, which is sort of the ability to that recognize yourself as an individual and recognize that other individuals might have a different worldview than yours. And so, and then they, they illustrate this through um, <clears throat> this behavior of cr crows to um, hide food. It's called caching behavior. They'll take say a peanut or whatever. And when they think no other crows are looking, they'll hide it. But if they look up and see that another crow saw them hide it, mm -hmm. they have the presence of mind to go, oh, wait a minute. That guy saw me hide my peanut. He might come steal my peanut later. So I'm going to come back when he's not looking and rehide it oh. so he won't know where it is. Because they, they have that theory of mind to say, if this guy saw me do this, he might behave in this way. Uh -huh. uh, whereas like a pigeon, I don't think pigeons even consider other pigeons as <laughs> having a personality. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just automatons. Yeah. So, well, if you ask Ben James, they're not even real. So it's controversial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a controversial episode considering Ben James's views on things. Yeah. I, I kind of, I bristled at Ben. I said, I don't know, man. Even crows? He said, yeah, they're all fake. I don't believe them. Whoa. Yeah. If anyone uh, doesn't know what we're talking about, Ben James has a podcast called What They Want You to Think. And he did an episode about how birds aren't real. I've heard more about that, too. And, you know, it's true in China. They do have bird shaped drones that are there to, like, uh, monitor people. You know, they have that social credit system and there's like face facial recognition cameras everywhere in China. I guess they're using birds, drones shaped like birds to, to kind of accomplish some of that. Too. What do they think anyway, people I are doing? I don't, I, well, that's a, that's a topic for another show. Um, that's yeah. Yeah. A totalitarian, a totalitarian government probably thinks that they're, they're being people and that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't imagine like wh what you think people are up to that you got to monitor all of them. Like, and all, how fucking boring is that? It's boring enough living your own life, let alone observing the lives of others. Come on. Yeah, I think they have AI or something that does uh, that. I don't know. I don't, that is a topic for another show. But they, crows, getting back to crows, they, they use tools. So they're, they're like the only other animal besides primates that use tools, as far as I know. And they're the only bird that uses uh, tools. I think so. I mean, well, because there's crows, magpies, jackdaws, all the different versions of like a crow type, you know, alpha uh -huh. crow type person. I think a lot of them do the same thing. So it's not just specifically crows. 
but that, you know, superordinate concept of the crow type bird, mm-hmm. you know, including all those other ones I mentioned. Um, yeah, they're the only, they're the only bird that I know of that uses tools. Yeah. Um, they're playful. They like to do like aerial tricks when they're flying. They like to do like barrel rolls just to impress their buddies, <laughs> do weird stuff. Um, they like to um, mess with other animals. We mentioned mentioned that before. They ooh, they recognize themselves in a mirror, and they're the only other type of animal besides like humans. Mm-hmm. Once again, dolphins. And dolphins and Asian elephants and then some types of apes are able to recognize themselves in mirrors. And all uh, other no animals other animal. think it's another animal? Like if your dog sees itself in the mirror, it thinks it's another dog? I think so. Huh. I think so, yeah. And the way they the way they tested this was they would put... Hang on just a minute. Go outside, cat. The way they tested this is they would put like a little, like a little colored sticker, like a little small red dot sticker, on um, like a crow's neck, where they couldn't see it just from looking down. Mm-hmm. But when they looked in the mirror, they would see themselves, and they would see the sticker on them, and they would try to get the sticker off. Oh, okay. So okay. that's how that's how you can see that they go, oh, that's me. Oh, why is there a sticker on? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, oh, they can recognize people's faces. Um, This um, ornithologist, a researcher at the University of Washington in Seattle, his name is Dr. John Marsliff. Um, He has a well-publicized, famous study where he and his group of researchers would tag birds um, in their nests while wearing different masks, mm-hmm. but they would they would wear a, like a, they would have three different masks. One of them would be the bad guy. In this case, it was a caveman mask. So they would wear the caveman mask when they were going to go do stuff that the birds didn't that they knew they wouldn't like, like tagging them, invading their nests, you know, being jerks basically. Mm-hmm. And so the birds learned that because they're so good at recognizing human faces. They learned that these the caveman guy, he's a real jerk, even though it's just a mask, right? Mm-hmm. But then the same the same researcher, if he puts on a different mask or wears no mask at all, they don't they don't give the same kind of like reaction to. They just recognize the face. But they recognize that face for years and they'll tell their crow friends about it. And so part of the the, the point of the study was to find out how knowledge is passed from one generation to the next. So what he did was he would go, he tagged a bunch of the the mature crows already knew that this caveman mask guy was a jerk. And so he went and he he tagged these baby crows while they were still in the nest um, with these like radio transmitter things. So he could track them around the city and, um, so he did that, and then while these baby crows who had been radio tagged in the nest uh, were still in the nest there, he would walk around wearing the caveman mask, and all the adult crows would be like, you're a jerk, you're a jerk, ah, ah, bad guy, bad guy. And what he was able to find out was that later on after the baby crows, even though he never was a jerk to the baby crows that they remembered, mm-hmm. later on, once they were flying around, once, if they saw his, if they saw that mask on his face, they would give that same kind of alert, like, "Hey, this guy's a jerk. Hey, this guy's a jerk." And it was just because they learned from their parents, "Hey, the guy in the caveman mask is a jerk." So they're passing this information on from generation to generation, and now, even ten years or more than ten years after this study, there are still crows in that area that. And like I said, they lived seven years, like seven years in average lifespan. Uh-huh. So crows that weren't even crows that weren't even alive when the study took place still think the caveman mask guy is a jerk, even though they weren't around for Whoa. it. It's just been it's just been information that's been passed down. Yeah. So they're capable of um, you know, communicating pretty complex stuff with each other. Mm-hmm. We have no idea how they do it, but um but they can, which is pretty intense. Uh, let's see. 
They've done all kinds of studies, um, experiments with crows in captivity where they get them to solve puzzles of certain, like they'll, there will be a solution to this puzzle they're presented with that takes numerous steps, like eight steps that have to be completed in sequence if it's going to work out. So for instance, there's a, a tube with a piece of food in it that the crow can't reach, but he's presented with a small stick. The small stick is not long enough to reach the food, but using that small stick, he can get a slightly larger stick, which he can then use to get a slightly larger stick. And eight steps down the line, he finally gets a stick that's long enough to reach the piece of food that he wanted in the first place. And he'll go through and do all of that stuff in order to get that one little piece of food or whatever. I mean, he, they don't got much else going on. They have time for these sort of things. They do, and these crows are in captivity. These aren't wild crows. You're not going to get a wild crow to, to you know, perform any of these tasks. They would be freaking out if they were in a cage, for one thing. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of weird, but, I mean, it does – their brains still kind of work the same way. It's just wild crows have a bunch of other stuff they got to deal with. Like, they don't have time for your reindeer games. Yeah. Um, but they've, they've repeated that kind of study with, you know, tubes and there's – the water displacement one is, is fascinating where you've got like this long tube that's half full of water and there's a piece of food floating in it. And then there are stones nearby and the crow soon learns that if it puts a stone in the water, it just displaces the water, makes the food float higher. And every day they go, Oh, Hey, that's working. And they just keep putting the stones in until the, finally the water level is up high enough that they can just reach in and grab the food. And I've seen that same thing done with where they use that heavy, they would just use like these um, sort of square blocks or rectangular prism blocks. And some of them were stones that would sink and some of them were styrofoam that would float. And the crows were able to distinguish like without even failing first. They go, oh, this one's just going to float. I need the heavy one. And so they would like discard the light things and just put the heavy ones in the water. Because they knew that would displace the water. <laughs> That's so wild. they're pretty. I don't even think I would be able to figure out some of these some of these tricks that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, dropping nuts in front of cars. You know, in the fall, there's all these like chestnuts and stuff. And I've seen it myself where crows will wait for an ambulance to be about to go into the the ambulance area. They're, you know, turn up the ramp. And then just at the last minute before the last second, before the ambulance turns the corner, the crow will drop the chestnut right in front of it. Ambulance drives over it, cracks it. And then, you know, the crow comes and collects, collects the nut using, you know, using cars as a nutcracker. That is is wild. I would be in my nest pecking at that thing for 10 hours trying to crack it open. (laughs) So they're pretty brilliant. Um, I don't know. Let's see. I think that's that's pretty much all of the that's the end of my book report. It was really good. You get an A plus. Thank you. But then I do have I do have all of my personal anecdata about feeding crows and kind of observing them for the past like how long have I been doing it? Has it been at least seven years, I would say. Um but Many years ago, um, there was an issue where nesting crows were dive bombing employees as they were like going in and out of the building. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I would start to, I would get on their good side. So I started carrying peanuts around with me and, uh, I would, I would make friends with the crows by offering them peanuts and that way, if they were ever nesting and I had to work nearby, they wouldn't dive for me. Because oh, you, they, they, you're their friend now. I am their friend now. Yeah, and it's worked out. It's worked out nicely because I've I've seen other people get dive bombed by crows, and I've never been dive bombed by crows since I started making friends with them. Because I'm the I'm the peanut guy. You're the peanut you guy. Everyone nicer. loves you. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, and then outside, you know, for the whole day. So it's no matter where I go, there's, there's some set of crows that I can make friends with or that I've, you know, 
that I've already made friends with, and now they're just going to come pester me for peanuts. And uh, so it's kind of it's kind of entertaining while I'm at work to always have like a little little buddy <laughs> potentially yeah. coming by and begging for food. And uh, I don't know. It's, they're really smart. They're really cute. People think they're ugly. I don't understand why people think they're ugly. I think they're beautiful. And everyone thinks their feathers are black, but if you see them in the right light, their feathers have like an iridescence to them. You can see like purple and blue and green in the feathers. Yeah, you just have to like see it. They're iridescent. They're like um, in the early aughts during my MySpace days, everyone used uh, L'Oreal Feria blue-black hair dye, and it's basically crow-colored. Like it's an iridescent black with blue undertones. Um, and, you know, come at me if you remember dyeing your hair with that color, because like literally all 20 of my friends used the same hair dye. It was a weird time. That's funny. I remember more Manic Panic. That was sort of the group I was around. You were with the Manic Panic kids? Yeah, yeah. Bleach it and then Fire Engine Red and uh, go to a punk concert. Maybe, you know, maybe get a, maybe cut your hair like a two foot mohawk and uh, go ahead and dye it green with some Manic Panic. Um, get some jello in there to stick it and get some Liberty Spikes. And uh, you're off to the Melvins show. I, I remember. I do remember. <laughs> and it's a running theme on this show that everyone should shave their hair into a mohawk at at least one point in their lives. So, um, Absol- I agree. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, let's see. I've been feeding crows for like, like I said, maybe it's seven seven years now um peanuts are the way i go um go ahead and i go i go to the uh the bird you know the wild bird store they sell um raw peanuts in the shell that's what i always get do you and give it to them, them in for- the shell and let them crack the shell open themselves absolutely yeah they're very good at cracking shells with their beak and uh it's fun to watch it's fun to watch the the new generation of crows like discover what a peanut is and like watch the, the watch their parents uh crack them and learn how to how to do it um it's it's really cute to see a like a a young crow get its first peanut and have no idea what to do with it <laughs> And and then it figures it out, and it's like its mind is blown. Like, oh my god, this is wonderful! Wow, I've learned this new skill. Usually, I'll if I know a baby's gonna get it, I'll like crack the shell. I'll get it started for him, and then toss it to him. But but yeah, peanuts in the shell. You can just walk around with a pocket full of them, and um, anytime you see a crow. You can um, try and make a new friend. It's not going to happen right away because they're super leery of um, weird stuff. But if you can get the get it to where you're not startling at them with your throwing motion, because if they see your arm do a throwing motion, they're going to freak out. Ah. But if you can just kind of flick it, and maybe not right at them, but at a place where you can where you know they'll see it. And maybe on a hard pavement surface where it'll make noise so you know they're going to hear it. And then if you just kind of walk away, they'll figure out what to do later. Like they have really good memory. They'll, you know, they're not going to forget that it's there in five minutes. They'll come back. Even if you're not there to see it. Do you think it's going to weird people out knowing that crows are this smart? I... Do I think it's going to weird people out? Yeah, like I think people don't attribute a lot of intelligence to like animals. Like they don't think about how they have this whole society that's happening alongside us. They have their own like culture and society and like, you know, and then just be like, oh, man, there's more going on in those trees. I don't know. Hopefully they're more fascinated than freaked out because, I mean, we've learned that about, like, dolphins, how smart they are and whatnot. And it's kind of like it's surprising to learn because you didn't realize it before. But 
it doesn't freak me out to learn that dolphins or elephants are smart. So I, hopefully people have that same kind of thing with crows. It's just that, um, guess what? There's no dolphins or elephants that you can make friends with in your daily routine. Whereas there are tons of opportunities to make friends with crows. All you just, all you have, all you have to do is just carry some peanuts around, and uh, there's there's tons of new friends to be made. I think. So I, th- I think it's. A- I'm sorry. I think it's like um, how people think about like aliens. Like, are there aliens out there that they're having their own society happening in our same solar system? And then you're like, but there's crows who have their own society within ours. So like, you don't even need to worry about outer space. Absolutely. Yeah. Who needs aliens? Yeah. It's- we've got we've got unexplored, undiscovered stuff right here, and and here I'm presenting to my beloved listeners the wonder mm-hmm. the beauty of crows and I, I encourage all of the listeners to go out go ahead and spend two bucks on some uh preferably raw peanuts in the shell but i'm sure they'll take roasted unsalted i would guess it's probably preferred but yeah don't give them go ahead and go, go go ahead and go spend two bucks on a pound of peanuts Mm-hmm. And uh, over the course of a month or so, see if you can dole those peanuts out to different crows. This time of the year, they're very hungry. Winter's coming on. And uh, at least the crows in my neighborhood are frantically collecting as much food as they can, trying to fatten themselves up before winter. Um, do, do they um, – okay, so they fatten themselves up for winter, but then do they also store food? Like they're smart enough to know winter's coming, so we need to store up food. Like they have a little pantry full of their food for winter. Yeah, they don't store it all in one spot like a squirrel will. Mm-hmm. Like a squirrel will bury or you know like hide three hundred pounds of nuts in one spot. Mm-hmm. But um, crows, crows kind of like have different caches, um, and they remember. They're really good at remembering where where the food is, unlike squirrels. So, and then also I read that they have the capacity to understand the difference between perishable food and food that's going to store well. And they can kind of keep like a, a running ledger in their head. Oh, that food is probably no good anymore. So they like this, you know, disregard it or whatever. So they're good at knowing the difference between a food that's going to rot <laughs> Versus food that can kind of like hang out for a month or whatever it is. I don't know. Do they fly south for winter? Do they do what now? Do they do crows fly south for winter? I guess it depends on oh, where they live. It does depend on where they live. Around here, like basically in the U.S., I think once you get into Canada, they start migrating south. Okay. Towards like towards the north, you know, towards the United States border from Canada. But when they're like here in Seattle, they're year round residents. They don't migrate. And I think in most of America, they they stick around year round. So, huh. yeah. And um, so, but they are fattening themselves up. They're definitely, they're pestering me more and more these days as it's getting colder. Um, they're like, what's they up, go, peanut guy? Give me some of that uh, good stuff. Yeah, for like the first, you know, from from seven a.m. until like eleven, they're just like frantically, give me as many peanuts as I can, as, you know, as you can. And then what's weird is like they go off around noon or whatever for like a couple hours. I don't see them, and then like in the afternoon they come back in the evening, and then at a certain point they all kind of like take off to go to their communal roosts at least these days do you think around noon they have like some other guy with a huge beard that they fly over and like there's like a, <laughs> on the other side of town there's like another guy with a beard and a bag of peanuts because you... i don't know i don't think that's what it is because they're just like there's no crows like anywhere to be seen mm-hmm. and they wouldn't all they wouldn't all just go to one guy but um like like i said it's just they each have their own little like three block three square block radiuses 
that's a, is their like individual foraging ground. And so I'm moving through all these different foraging grounds all day. So I get to know all the different crows, but yeah. at a certain time of the day, depending on the time of the year, but uh, they'll all just be gone. And it's like, where's all the crows? I haven't fed a crow in like two hours. What's going on? But um, yeah, who knows what they're doing or why they're doing it. Um, that's, I don't know if there's a lot of sort of, um, known uh, information known about their goings on throughout the day. Like they just kind of do their thing and who knows what they're doing, but I don't know. I'm just happy to be friends with them because they give me a lot of entertainment. And also it's kind of like being in a cool club. Yeah. When you're walking by, when you're walking, when you're just walking to the store and some random crow just like comes up next to you, you know, lands three feet from your head on a, you know, on like a, a street sign or something. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a cool like acknowledgement, like, Hey, you're a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the cool guy club. You're in the cool guy club. And then also like the most fun thing I think is feeding crows by bicycle and just having a big old pocket full of peanuts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to do this when I'd commute like five miles each way to and from work where there would be like certain neighborhoods, certain areas where as I was passing through there each day, there'd be like some crows hanging around and I start flicking peanuts up into the air. And then before you know it, I've got like 20 crows following me for like 10 blocks. (laughs) You're like fucking Willard. I'm like, yeah, I'm like the crow whisperer, yeah. sort of. So, so that part's fun. That happens a lot walking through the park on my way to go get soup after work. Um, that's the time of the day these days where there's lots of crows just kind of foraging communally, mm-hmm. you know, getting earthworms or nuts or whatever. But they see me and they start, they start coming zooming up to me and landing nearby and following me, you know, <laughs> like landing it three feet away from me and then just following me until they until I give them a peanut. There's this one crow who's, um, I call her Knuckles because she has a deformed foot. Uh-huh. And so she, because I don't tag birds or anything, like I can't, and I'm not as good at recognizing crow faces as they are at recognizing human faces. So they all know me, but I can't really tell them apart if it makes me feel kind of bad because they're my friends, right? Yeah. But there's this one, this one crow called Knuckles that has this deformed right foot. She kind of like walks on her knuckles. So I call her Knuckles, <laughs> which is problematic when you're, you know, on your way to go get soup and you're walking near the basketball court and uh, your favorite bird comes and, and lands three feet away from you. And your instinct is to want to go, What's up, Knuckles? But then, you know, you don't want to hear that screech of, you know, 10 pairs of of basketball shoes all screeching to a stop staring at you while you're you're leaning down with a peanut in your hand talking to a bird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's up, Knuckles? (laughs) 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 But she's my favorite crow. She was my, like, where I like the block that I live on. Um, she's the dog, you know, she's the progeny of the mating pair that kind of like resides on this block. Mm-hmm. So I actually saw her when she was a baby, like four years ago. And, and she's foot, still around. Her foot was messed up from what? birth or did something happen to her? I don't know exactly, but it was messed up from the time she was a young, you know, okay. like less than a year old. Um, but she's stuck around. She she kind of like hangs out, you know, on the other side of the park mostly. But it's so cute. She'll follow me around because she knows I always I give her preferential treatment. I always give her two big fat juicy peanuts when I'm only given other when I'm only given other birds maybe one peanut, you uh-huh. know. But I like select out like the fattest juiciest ones and make sure that she gets two. So she knows this, and so she follows me around, but she's so cute and timid. She looks like she's, like, about to – she's ready to bounce at any given time. She's, like, so tentative, like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I want the peanuts, but, like, I'm still kind of freaked out. 
but she's the cutest ever. Um, I've got, I've got some good tweets and photos of knuckles that, um, when this, when this airs, I can, I can repost them or whatever. Yeah, please. But, uh, but she's the best. She's the cutest. She's my little, my little crow girlfriend. Aww. She's adorable. I've known her since she was a baby and she's, she's out there. She, she had her own baby this year for the oh. first year. So that was exciting that Knuckles had a baby and getting to watch her, you know, whatever. How did you know she was a girl? How do you, can you tell the difference? You can tell because, um, really it's hard to tell, to be honest. The, the, the males tend to be bigger. Uh-huh. And in my experience, the bigger ones are a little bit more outgoing, maybe aggressive, not aggressive, but like, um, they'll, uh, go outside their comfort zone to get peanuts more than the females will. Um, so I'm pretty sure she's a female. Um, her, I've seen her boyfriend. Um, Do you approve? He's got blonde. Yeah, he seems okay. He's a good guy. He's got blonde knees, so I can understand why she was attracted to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know. They're just a couple of young kids trying to make their way, you know. It's good, good on them. You yeah, know? Go absolutely. Out, be crazy. Go have fun. Be crazy. But you know what? At the end of the day, you got a young one. You got to take care of. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. kind of knuckle, knuckle, knuckles down, knuckle <laughs> down. But anyway, uh, that's that's my experience. I've just had a lot of fun feeding crows, and I would encourage anyone who might be interested to just. Go ahead and try and try and make friends with your neighborhood crows because they're going to be the they're the same birds that are there all the time. They also like um, like kibble food, like dog kibble oh, okay. or cat kibble. So if you don't want to get peanuts or if you don't have peanuts, you can you can walk around with some of that. It doesn't make some bigger mess in your pocket than peanuts do, but uh, but that also works. A guy at work that I know uh, who works at the boiler plant. He feeds them beef jerky. Oh. So, and they like that, of course, as well. But, you know, being a vegetarian, peanuts are a little more in in my, you know, comfort zone. Yeah, you don't want I'm to okay carry beef jerky in your pocket. Especially not loose beef jerky and like, what, what am I going to do with the beef jerky? I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes my kid will not, will, will decide she doesn't like a thing. Maybe I get her bacon at the cafeteria and she doesn't eat it. So I get to go make, uh, make friends with a bunch of crows by feeding them bacon. That's oh. one of their favorites. Yeah. But that's, that's a special occasion. <laughs> peanuts are my go-to. And I have to tell you, uh, I bought a 50 pound bag of peanuts from the feed store last, probably like maybe 10 months ago. It was, it was in the winter. And I'm just now finishing up that bag. It's almost time to get a new bag of peanuts. So um, talk about how smart crows are. They trained a dude to go spend 80 bucks on peanuts for them. Yeah. And then remember to carry it. And then remember to carry it around with them all the time and feed them with it. So I'm pretty much the domesticated one in this relationship. Yeah, they, they would not. You. They've trained me. I think if they saw me being attacked by a mugger, I don't think they would do anything to stop it. They might wait until I was beaten senseless and raid my pockets for the peanuts, but Uh I don't think that they're actually, they don't like, yeah, share the friendship view that I have, but what are you going to do? Yeah. They are wild. They're wild animals. So, yeah. Hey, my dog is not a wild animal and he in no way loves me as much as I love him. Um, it's strong indifference for sure. Uh, it's kind of how he feels about me, but I, you know, I, I love him enough for the both of us is what I like to say. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's crows and, uh, you know, coming on and this is going to be like the day before Halloween, this gets released. So, uh, you know, crows, crows can be spooky, but once you get to know them, they're, they're cute. They're really adorable, kind of like 
witches. Witches aren't mean old ladies. They're just people who are trying to like use herbs to heal or whatever. You know, they're just herbologists. Uh, or, or they're a twenty-year-old chick on Instagram. You know, that's showing off her altar. Uh, I just I don't know at what point uh, everyone I know became a witch. Uh, and everyone just is a witch and reads tarot cards. I don't know when that happened, but according to social media, <laughs> that's what's going down in the world. Um, so I don't know. And, uh, you know, mummies. Mummies aren't scary. I always thought mummies were sad. You think mummies are sad? I think mummies are sad. They're not scary to me. I always feel bad for mummies. I mean, there's no privacy when you're a mummy. You're in a museum, you know. <laughs> but even the spooky, the scary Halloween type mummy that's just kind of going around going, wrapped in bandages and stuff. It's just like, they just want to be left alone. Yeah. They just want to go back into their tomb. They don't want to be paraded around. They they didn't ask to be here, you know. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, they just, <clears throat> uh, yeah, just leave them alone. Quit invading their space. Quit raiding their tomb. Yeah. So, you know, I think what we've learned here is that that people are scary. But um, the people that are the things that people are scared of around Halloween time, not so scary. Not so scary. Scary. (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, feed crows. Get some peanuts. Make friends with crows. You'll you'll love it. (laughs) You'll make new friends. And have a happy hump day. Happy hump day, everybody.